Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Bonjour. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird, and we are live streaming on Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. Fresh Art International is a radio show and podcast that you can listen to anytime you like, anywhere you go for podcasts. We spark conversations about contemporary art, design, and film with culture makers from around the world. On today's show, we will introduce you to Little Haiti, a culturally complex community at the heart of Miami. In the studio with me today are Miami-based curators, artists, and writers. Carl Just. Hello. Lisette Mendez. Hello. Good morning. Marie Vickles. Good morning. And Edwige Danticat. Hi. Haiti inspires and informs all of these people in the room, including me. I've learned so much getting ready for this show. So welcome to Fresh Art International, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having us. The Caribbean is the point of convergence for so many cultures. And today we're talking about the convergence of cultures that took place and continue to take place in a cultural zone that comes from the island of Haiti. And Miami, from what I was reading, is now the home to more than 300,000 Haitian Americans. The first Haitians came to Miami in the 1960s and continued to come here in great bursts by boat through early 1980s, when more than 70,000 Haitians migrated here. But it wasn't until 2016 I was reading that Little Haiti was declared an official city neighborhood. That's a long time coming, the way I see it. And I can't think of a more perfect way to set the stage for our conversation today than to introduce a poignant new film that is being brought here by the 2018 Miami Film Festival that screens on March 12th. It's called Foreigner's Home. And Edwige Dantica is the expert in the room on this film because she is in it. Congratulations. What a beautiful film. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's a really poignant for this conversation because the film is called The Foreigner's Home. And it's translated from the French title of a conference that Toni Morrison held in Paris about 12 years ago called L'étranger chez soi. And she was wrestling with the title because... There's no really in French a word for home in the way that the Americans have it. So l'étranger chez soi could mean the foreigner at home or the foreigner's home. And I think that's a, what a lot of people are balancing these days who are considered foreigners in America, you know, as it's being redefined all the time. I think that's definitely the case. And just your history a little bit. You were born in Port-au-Prince in Haiti and you immigrated to the U.S., I moved to New York when I was 12. My mother and father had moved when I was, my father when I was two, my, my mom when I was four, and I stayed with relatives, which is a very, you know, typical story, and then joined my parents in New York when I was 12, and I moved to Miami about 16 years ago. Well, you are an amazing writer, I know, and I was reading a lot about you and realized that your debut novel was actually your thesis. In grad school, right? Yeah, it was my master's in fine arts thesis at Brown University. I always wanted to be a writer, so I took the sort of, it's a big risk for an immigrant child. My parents certainly weren't happy (laughs) when I decided I'm going to be a novelist. But my thesis, I was lucky it worked out. It became my first book that I published. That's so cool. And the title is Breath, Eyes, Memory. Mm -hmm. And you are also a MacArthur Fellow so much. I'm so excited. We could do an entire show just about your work. You are also one of the contributors to a book we're going to be speaking about later in the show called Havana, Haiti. You recently shared your thoughts about being Haitian American in the Miami Herald. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very interesting to be Haitian and Miami, because there's a a history here, I think, that's very unique. I think it's the only place that I know where there's a place that's referred to as Little Haiti in the United States. And the sort of the contributions that Haitians have made here are much more visible. Like if you 
go down Northeast 2nd Avenue, you see storefronts that are reminiscent of types of storefronts you might see in Port-au-Prince and a lot of Haitian churches of different denominations. The Haitian presence, I think also because of the whole, the landscape feels more visible here. You know, you don't have to travel far to speak to someone who is Creole speaking. And I think our presence here is it's something we have to remind the general population a lot of, like something the nation at this time that we're living. But we can see a lot of what Haitians have contributed to not just Little Haiti, but to Miami and South Florida and, and just the, the state in general. And the world. Yes, Speaking absolutely. of the film, yes. let's, let's talk about this film for a moment. Toni Morrison, the writer, was invited to curate a show at the Louvre, mm-hmm. which is so amazing. And she chose for the title The Foreigner's Home. And it was 2006. The film revolves Mm. around that exhibition, but it goes so much further to talk about the questions of otherness and immigration, Mm. the condition of the immigrant. Yeah, Toni Morrison was the first writer who was a writer in residence at the Louvre. She was there for a month. And then she invited other writers, including myself. And so the film is an update about 10 years later, I was able to go to her house and we got to talk again about all the issues that we faced in, in Paris, certainly alienation for young immigrants. And, you know, she was the, the first person who brought, for example, slam poets from the banlieue, from the suburban neighborhoods in Paris into the Louvre. And they recited their poetries in front of these century old paintings. So when we talked in the film, we visited some things that weren't there before. For example, this whole wave of migration in Europe. And we talked about Hurricane Katrina and what it means to be called, for example, a refugee in your own country, as African-Americans were during that whole summer of Katrina. So the film covers a lot of our current moment, even though we also go back to things that were happening 10 years ago. But she gets an opportunity to revisit some of the issues she addressed in her time at the Louvre. And I think it's really important by bringing those voices into the Louvre and out into the community of Paris that she really showed art's power to break down those barriers between us and the other, between art and life, race and culture. Absolutely, because even I live in in Little Haiti and sometimes my neighbors, if we're going two blocks down the street to an art exhibit, they feel like that's not for them. You know, they feel excluded out of that environment. And so I think it's important for these institutions too to make an effort to open those gates, to make them less intimidating, especially to young people in the communities. So that's what she managed to do at a huge institution like the Louvre. And I think it's something that had a continuing legacy to say to these young people that this space also belongs to you. That's excellent. Well, let's listen to the trailer audio from this film just to give our listeners a little idea of what they have to experience. We are dreaming all wrong. Who is the foreigner? There's so many aspects to what language and art can do for making us feel at home in the world. Artists make language, images, sounds to bear witness, to shape beauty, and to comprehend. This conversation is vital to our understanding of what it means to be human. We would be not merely remiss, but irrelevant if we did not address the doom faced by millions of people reduced to polluted status by nations with unrepented power to decide who is a stranger and whether they live or die at or far from home. Who is the foreigner? Am I 
the foreigner. Good morning. We just shared the audio track from Foreigner's Home, a beautiful film that exposes the pathos and poetry of immigration and otherness. And it's coming up soon at the 35th Miami Film Festival. Thank you for being with me this morning to introduce this film, Edwidge Dantica. This is not our first conversation about the challenges that face immigrant communities in Miami. 2017 marked the 20th anniversary of this organization called the Diaspora Vibe Cultural Arts Incubator that Rosie Gordon-Wallace founded. And she's been doing her part to support the work of artists from the Caribbean, to find them opportunities to encourage their work. And we also have a Third Horizon Film Festival that popped into view three years ago. That's been amazing as an opportunity to see film from that region. Photojournalist and community art and community activist Carl Just is here in the studio with us today. Thank you for introducing me on foot to little Haiti, Carl. Well, well thank you for coming. I think I'm glad I'm here. I recorded with Carl a walkabout in little Haiti, and we're going to listen to that right now and give you an idea of what it feels like to walk down the streets. I'm walking around Little Haiti with Carl Just. We're talking about the original demarcations of this community. According to my father, it was relayed to me by him. He felt that Little Haiti started on the south, 36th Street, to the west, to possibly 95, to the north, northwest 81st Street, and to the east, at the railroad tracks on Northeast 4th Avenue. He went from those boundaries to a smaller enclave, and now, two years ago, officially, 54th Street to the south, 62nd Street to the north. Well, that is a super small footprint now. And it's because the area is being rebranded. You've had the design district, Lemon City encroaching from the east, Little River encroaching from the north, and now we just have a parcel of a art space, an intellectual space, a cultural space that's diminishing as every day passes. You were just showing me, you said, do you want to see my dad? The father of Little Haiti. A lot of people in the community call him Pejus because he was the father of the community. If you were a new arrival and you needed to get a social security card, there will be a line outside my father's store and people would bring the forms in. My father would sit with one at a time and go to the form, translate the form. This is before the local government started translating documents into Creole. So where was his record store? At first, in the 70s, was in downtown Miami. And then he moved to somewhere on the 63, 6400 block of Northeast 2nd Avenue. And the finally resting place was on 7800 block of Northeast 2nd Avenue, which was there for 25 years. Bonjour. Bonjour. Ça va? The thing about Little Haiti, everyone is welcome. And there's this idea of a collective exchange between the various newcomers and those who've been living here since it's been founded. You can go to Chef Creole and you can see people from Venezuela, people from Cuba enjoying a Haitian meal. Or you could come to the Little Haiti Cultural Center and you see Brazilians, you see Latins, African Americans enjoying the music and the culture. A lot of times this country has shut the door on Haitians. Those who have arrived have learned the, the art of openness. So where are you taking me right now? Well, we're going to take a walk south of 59th Street. You know, you look to our left, you see a lot of these stores. They don't open till after 11 o'clock. They're mom-and-pop stores, the beauty stores, the thrift shops. You're beginning to see, as we go from one store to the other, there's empty spots because a lot of these stores, their rent has gone up because this is a very hot area now. And a lot of these mom and pops cannot afford 
to sustain those rents because a lot of people don't own the building they're in. My dad did not own the building that he, he rented for 25 years. There are developers who see the importance, who understand the identity and cultivating cultural elements of the area. And in those, there are some developers who don't really care about its past, or at least the Haitian past. So right here, we're standing in front of a church, or more storefront church, churches in, in the area before, during the 80s and 90s, but those are, are slowly dwindling. But where you really see a little of the Hades, off the side streets. Let's take a walk to the neighborhood. Bonjour, ça va? Bonjour, ça va? It's a working class neighborhood. It's an immigrant neighborhood. And now it's the new wave of people escaping what's going on in Venezuela, Colombia, Brazil. Those people have means. They come with their set of businesses, their set of contacts. So they're not starting from the bottom, from the pit. They may be coming off the plane, <laughs> but they're not coming off the boat. You can't really blame anyone to try to have a better life and you can't really blame people for having the advantages that they have but you can question why they don't understand the plight of those who are fleeing persecution who happen to be dark-skinned and poor it's very inclusive you can walk down Little Haiti and you might hear reggae music, you might hear compa, you might hear soca, you might hear bachata, you might hear salsa, and it's natural. Right now, we passed by Ferrito, we heard Walk This Way. <laughs> Very apropos, I would think, right? You know, you have these new, small, and organic business enterprises, sweat records that sell vinyl records. It's a place where People from the outside can come in. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to Sweat Records. Where in Little Haiti? Yeah, yeah. It's not like, like, like a landmark. And I'm going to show you what I call the back streets. Now, this experience used to go all the way down in the Buena Vista. And Buena Vista got cleaned up, it got gentrified. But this is what most of Little Haiti used to get nice houses, good lawns, but you know. When you have immigrants living, coming to a place, you can't turn nobody down. You can't say, look, cousin, you can't live with me. You just make room. Take a good listen. Look how quiet it's become. You have mango trees, palm trees. This could be Haiti. This could be Cuba. This could be anywhere in Latin America. You walk through the streets, it's quiet. There's no arguments, no loudness, no rudeness. And this is what Haitians want. They want to go to a place that reminds them of home. And this area of Miami was perfect for it. Bonjour. Ça va? Ça va bien aussi. So, you know, you have people sit in the morning on their porch. People will greet you, and there's no sense that you're an outsider trying to do harm. You come here in the afternoon, there's people walking the street, people playing dominoes in front of their house. There's people living in their space. This is not an insular community. This is a very open community. Now we have a brewery here. We have a bread company here, a coffee company here. Everything low-key. You would never know it's even in this area. Certain mornings you walk around, you can smell the coffee being roasted. Patients do learn vicariously. They can watch. They take the dishwashing job, they put themselves to school, they learn the language, they learn to write it, they learn to read their own language. This is not a place that's poor or deprived. This is where many gems exist. That's going to change. See Sullivan's um, Street Bakery right here? You can see all this construction, all this, all this buildup is occurring. Within five years, you're not going to recognize this place anymore. You, right now, you're hearing Creole, you're hearing French, but within five years, that may not be the case. We used to have a gallery here called Multitude, which focused a lot on Haitian art, Haitian works, uh, and then, you know, we just couldn't hold it. 
what makes this area so good you can walk to your bus stops you have major thoroughways like Northeast 2nd Avenue, Biscayne Boulevard that could take you downtown up to the south or that could take you to the north I just saw a chicken cross the road. Oh yeah, that joke goes by every 10 seconds. Why did a chicken cross the road? To get some wheel. As you can see right here, you know, this is home. Bonjour. Qui jour you, man? En forme à Québec? Yeah, man. That's what I said. Where you been, man? I've been here, man. Turn the machine and promote the community, you know? You believe me? I believe you, bro. I believe you, man. Who am I, Deja? I'm here. I'm always here. You're an artist, right? But I give up. You don't give up, man. Like I said, you can't give up. Why you gave up? It's a hard job, man. When did you come from Haiti? When you came to Miami? 1996. How's the community changed since 96? Right now, it's getting really tougher because on 96, everything was... You remember Leo Carson? Yeah, I remember Leo. Leo. Yeah, Carras. I remember Leo. Those times I was kind of okay because I was uh, have a job really close to my home. I'll be working on my own since then. Leo is, is a Haitian-owned business. Hired a lot of Haitian, you know, who you know who were, couldn't gain gainful employment in other places. So a lot of places where young arrivals can get jobs, get get the foot planted, are gone. Nice music. Let me them get stressed sometimes they pull really help me out. Yeah, he says when he has stress, it's the music he listens to to help him out. Because that's our culture. And how important is that culture to Miami? Tell the truth, the culture is like Miami don't give the culture respect. You know what I'm saying? Our culture uh, we searching for that so many years for it, but we can't get it, but we're going to get it one day. You understand Well, I do understand. Brother, thank right. you for your time. Thank I'll you, be man. through again. All right? Appreciate I that. never lost you. I never let you down, bro. I'm, right. I'm always around, so I bring people around here to tell your story, okay? Thank you, man. Okay, my brother. Take care. See? You can't get those things from reading something online. To understand Little Haiti, you have to walk in the shoes of Haitians. I mean, it cosmetically, it's still pretty. It doesn't look like it's, it looks like a place you would see in middle-class Haiti. Compared to Miami, where you have condos, valet service, valet parking, Starbucks, Whole Food. If you come here, it looks like it's depressed. But this is where all the dreams are born. This is where I laid my head and I dreamed of the possibilities of what my future will become. That's why I never moved out of the area. When people talk about Little Haiti, I don't think they really understand what it truly is. It's beyond just hearing music and it is a gift that's been given to South Florida. It has helped this area to be unique, as unique as the Everglades. Bonjour. That was a walk through Little Haiti with Carl Just, and Carl is in the studio with me, as is Marie Vickles, and Edwidge Danticat, and Lisette Mendez, all here to talk about Little Haiti and how Haiti inspires art, books, and film. So our walk ended up at the Little Haiti Cultural Complex, where I visited Carl's studio, and he told me about this Haitian Cultural Arts Alliance, founded in 1994. Yes, in 94, main purpose is to support artists in Haiti and make sure that artisans from Haiti and Haitian-American artists have a voice or their voice are amplified. And then it kind of took a broader theme in connecting with the influence of Haitian culture throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. It's probably a better backdrop because then there's a lot of entry points, from various people in this community that's very diverse. So you could have Venezuelans being you know, engaged in the conversation and Cubans and so forth. That's great. And Marie, an arts educator and independent curator and artist living in Miami, works in the U.S. and the Caribbean and has found new ways to connect creativity and community wherever she goes. She is the curator in residence at the Little Haiti Culture Complex. 
How often do exhibitions take place in that space, Marie? It varies, but we have about six exhibitions throughout the year. Those exhibitions feature a lot of local artists that are here in Miami, contemporary artists making art. And of course, our focus is on Haitian and Afro-Caribbean artists. So we love to feature our local artists in that space. I think it's great. I've been to several exhibitions there, and one we're going to be talking about coming up involves the history of Haiti and Havana and Cuba and a contemporary art response to that history, which I think is really critically important. And I'm wondering how often do the exhibitions involve contemporary art? I would say that all of our exhibitions involve contemporary art. We feature work that is made by artists that are living and making art today. They're coming from all over the world, Haitians that are living maybe in France or in California, and also artists that are living right here in Little Haiti. When we met the other day by phone, (laughs) you were talking about the Haitian Heritage Month that's coming up, and you have an exhibition planned for that. Yeah, so we have a really special exhibition for this year's Haitian Heritage Month. We're going to be paying tribute to Dalius, a local artist that recently passed away. He was instrumental in creating a path for other Haitian artists here in Miami. He had studio for over 40 years throughout Miami. He had a spot in North Miami for quite a while, and then in recent years he had moved to Little Haiti. So we're going to work with a group of artists that will be creating work inspired by his work, and we will also feature his work in the exhibition. So it's a tribute. That's very cool. And I think now I'd like to just introduce the Visionary Aponte Art and Black Freedom that just took place, and it was brought by the Haitian Cultural Arts Alliance, right? Yes, it was. The Haitian Cultural Alliance had applied for a Knight Foundation grant, but the process in creating this exhibition was already in place. It's a 2017 recipient of the um, Knight Art Challenge, and it's traveling right now. It's opening tomorrow in New York. It's really interesting. We worked on putting this grant together. And I learned so much. There's things I didn't even know about Aponte. Only in Miami that you could have these intersections of different people from different places. And I think Marie Vickles have always done exhibitions that brought people into the community, even though they might feel like another. Once they came into that gallery, they had a sense of ownership. And I think that's, that's what's the magic of Little Haiti. Mm-hmm. I agree. I did some more field recording with the other two curators involved in this exhibition. Edouard Duval-Carrier is an artist and a curator and a member of that alliance. He's the artistic director yes, of the is. alliance. Mm-hmm. And Tasha Grantham is an independent curator based in Miami. You'll also hear in my field recording the voice of Nina Angela Mercer, who's an artist based in New York who works in theater and performance, and she gives quite a striking performance that you'll hear as part of my conversation with Edward and Tasha. I am here with Edward Duval-Carrier. I'm delighted to be with you. <laughs> I visited your studio before, and I've wanted to come back, and here I am. Wonderful. This time is to talk about this amazing exhibition that you've just brought to the Little Haiti Culture Center. The whole thing starts with, I was illustrating a book uh, by Alejo Carpentier called The Kingdom of This World. And there was in that particular book, which is a short novel about Haiti, one of the best ever written, a very cryptic sentence. And all of this looked like paintings by Aponte. So I went to the internet, tried to find who the, the painter, because of course they're making reference to paintings. So I wanted to see who made paintings in Haiti. And we're talking about the 1700s. So of course nothing appeared. And it's always been in the back of my mind. And recently I was sent a book by a friend about the revolution and the reactions of Cuba, Dominican Republic, uh, I mean, the Spanish world, to the Haitian Revolution at the time. All we know is the reactions of France, the United States. I had never really comprehended what it meant to their neighbors. So 
I read the book, very interesting. There is a chapter in it devoted to this person called Aponte. Behold, the story goes as Aponte is a freed black slave living in Havana, and he apparently, or a group of slaves and freed slaves, decided to emulate Haiti and do the same thing in Cuba. Okay? But the proportions of slaves to whites was a completely different ballgame. So off he goes and foments rebellion and stuff like that. They managed to burn maybe one or two plantations, kill three people, and it was like, whoa! The reaction was violent. So they slapped a few slaves, beat them up, and all of them accorded among themselves that Aponte was the culprit, was the headman. So they went to his house. They found a chest that had another box in it. They found a book. The book had more than 72 paintings in it, and they were very cryptic. So, of course, they wanted to know more because he was the head of a rebellion. There was a book of images. What is this guy up to? Five days of interrogation where they were questioning him about every painting, every aspect of them, positions of this. What is that? What is this person? What you realize is that the man, and he said it very clearly in the interrogation, it was a book destined for the king of Spain where he was presenting to the king of Spain the history of the black world. I mean, and wow. That, wow. Okay, the history of the black world from Adam and Eve till his moment to edify the king of Spain about who the blacks were. They were not a bunch of nobodies. And of course, they destroyed the book and they chopped his head off. And what I'm understanding from what you say, the documentation that remains is actually the records of the interrogation. Exactly. That's all there is. So those paintings are described. Are described, but with great minutiae. You That's amazing. That's amazing. You I know? love it. Yeah. So from that, this so amazing I, call and response exhibition. When I read this, you know, I said, I need to know more. So I spoke to another academic, a very good friend of mine, and I was talking to him about it. And he says, you don't know Ada Ferrer? I said, oh, the lady that wrote the book. I said, no, I don't know her. So he said, let's call her. I spoke to Ada, and she said she's been looking for the book since she was 19 when she started. And it's like the holy grail of every Cubanist on the planet. Where is the damn book? But the book disappeared. I mean, they're still looking for it. Until I'm proven wrong, it is the only document worldwide that had that intent at that time. None other. The Black Atlantic. It's Africa. The history of all of that in one visual document, it doesn't exist anywhere. Such a touching story. So I said, Ada, well, why don't we reconstruct the book? <laughs> so she says, how we do that? I said, yes, it's very simple. We're going to choose some artists, invite them to consult the book. Very clearly, it is a very, very important, unique document that has been lost to the world. And we're going to reconstruct it our way two centuries later. We are in the Little Haiti Culture Center, walking around to experience a show called Visionary Aponte, Art and Black Freedom. And I'm here with one of the curators of the exhibition, Tasha Grantham. Thank you, Kathy, for having me, and thank you also for your interest in this show. Visionary Aponte, Art and Black Freedom is really a collaborative initiative. It's a project that came into being when Miami-based artist Edward Duval Carrier read a book written by Professor Ada Ferrer at NYU called Freedom's Mirror. Ada's book was looking at different African influences in revolutionary movements in the Caribbean basin. Chapter 7 was devoted to Jose Antonio Oponte. Aponte, as a free Cuban man of color, was inspired by the Haitian Revolution to enfold those histories of resistance into what would become a plot for an insurrectionist movement in Cuba. In addition to his history as a soldier, he's also an artist. The book I read was considered the blueprint for the revolution. Absolutely. I think that is so cool. 
So it's almost like... <laughs> and it's so pointed. inspiring for contemporary artists to have that kind of muse. Aponte had been a student of histories of resistance movements and the triumph of oppressed people. From what he read, he had a discussion with his peers, his contemporaries, other free men of color. He was a member of a secret society. So you're thinking about a very cosmopolitan environment in which he lived. And through his art, through his reading, through his interest in humanistic concerns, he combines all of this information with the real events on the ground in Haiti and basically sets about with his plan. This is true art activism, is it not? (laughs) Taken to the nth degree, actually raiding plantations. Absolutely. So Ponte makes a book that becomes essentially a roadmap to the insurrection that he envisioned in Cuba. Let's talk about a few of the pieces we see here. There are 15 artists represented in the show. The idea is that there is the historical narrative that patches into Aponte's world. Each piece uses a lamina or a folio, a description of Aponte's trial testimony as a point of departure or as a loose reference point. Some of the art set about to recreate what may have been a meaning in the testimony and some of the art places the agency back into Aponte's hands. The call and response begins with a collaborative piece by New Orleans-based artist John Marcel Jacques and uh, DC-based artist Renee Stout. Here we have Renee's representation of the book. She really got into the idea of recreating the book in a way that Aponte really inhabited her. And she felt like she was working and channeling his spirit into being. She really handed herself and her art over to Aponte in a way and really made her work a way for him to speak through her. What a wonderful legacy to interpret, to learn from, to be inspired. I think it's pretty awesome considering his demise. Jean-Marcel Saint-Jacques. He's from New Orleans, and this is his door, which is very consistent with his practice. He's a really fantastic, creative, resourceful artist who has very deep family ties to Louisiana. And so he moved his family back to Louisiana after Katrina, reclaimed a house that had been in his family. So some of the energy and intensity that's conveyed in his meticulous arrangement of the pieces that bricolage the door are just embedded not just with his family history, but the history of this traumatic event that the city of New Orleans and the Gulf Coast experienced. Renee worked with an artist who's based in Los Angeles named Odinga Tahemba. And Odinga actually made the tools that are hanging from the door that take on the burned wooden handle with the dots of the leopard society, so the leopard ekpe, which is a loose reference to Abakwa, which is a secret society that Aponte belonged to. Here, what Rene did was to take a piece that is from 2008, part of a series of weapons that she was making around that time. Many of them are in collections now, but she kept this one and its lovely metal case. As she was working on the show, she wrote a note for Aponte. That's fantastic. And it says, Aponte, look for the portal in order to execute what is mandated. That door becomes a way to think about how if there were any collaborators or co-conspirators that Aponte had that did not get caught and were not tried, that Jean-Marcel has provided 
the gateway into the next dimension so that they could carry forth the message. She's provided a weapon, a note from the Haitian Revolution, and collaborated with two artists who provided weapons and a doorway for escape. As the show is being developed and conversations with artists are unfolding, hearing what they're thinking is bouncing all over the country. New Orleans, DC, Miami, LA, New York, as this energy comes forth. If you were in the gallery listening to Nina Angela Mercer's performance piece in which she's done an invocation for a ponte while viewing the art, there's this bone-chilling effect down Moses tell Zumbi ride your sweet chariot and bring your hammer down execute what is ordered over yonder in the monte maroon town quilombo monanso cabildo port tobacco congo square bronx san juan el campo havana they hanged him cut off his head because he dared to paint possibility. But freedom came anyway. Good morning. Bonjour. This is Fresh Art International on Jolt Radio. And on today's show, we're talking about the island country of Haiti as the inspiration for art, films, and books. You just heard my conversations with curators of the exhibition Visionary Aponte, opening today in the King Juan Carlos of Spain Center at New York University and moving on to Duke University in the fall. This is an important exhibition, and I'm really thrilled that we could share it with you today on Fresh Art International. And now we're going to talk about another exhibition and book project, Havana, Haiti. Two Cultures, One Community, that juxtaposes the geography, political life, and culture of these two island nations in photography and text. Welcome, Lisette Mendez and Carl Juice to talk about this project. Thank you for having us. To introduce these two properly, Carl-Philippe Juste is a dreamer and photojournalist with the Miami Herald, Pulitzer Prize winning, I may add, Haitian-born, grew up in Miami, with a mother who was born and spent her childhood in Santiago de Cuba. Lisette Mendez is a dreamer and programs director for the Miami Book Fair. She arrived in the U.S. from Cuba with the Marielle Boatlift in 1980. I was eight years old. Oh, my. So she plays a key role in inviting writers and other creatives to present talks and all kinds of programs at the Miami Book Fair, and she also presents the Little Haiti Book Festival every May. The Miami Book Fair partnered with Societe Kukui. It's an organization, a longstanding Haitian cultural arts organization that has the mission of promoting Haitian arts and culture in Miami. They've been around for a long time. They were the ones that started the book festival in Little Haiti. And then a couple of years ago, I came in. I've known Mapu, who owns the bookstore in Little Haiti. I'm sure you might have walked right by it when Carl took you around on a tour. And that bookstore has been there for, I don't know, 25, 30 years at this point. And together, we've been working on creating the book festival every year, making it a little bit bigger and better and bringing artists, writers specifically in from Haiti and from other parts of the diaspora outside of Miami as well. So I have a lot of points of connection with everyone who's here at the table on this show. But Carl and I have been friends for a while. And when he first told me about his project, Havana, Haiti, Two Cultures, One Community, I was talking to... Mireille Charles from the Green Family Foundation, who is a great supporter of, amongst many other things, Haitian arts and culture in Miami and South Florida. We were talking about this on Friday, and I, and I mentioned to her that when Carl first told me about it, it was like every little hair on my body stood on end because it was the kind of thing that I've been thinking about in a nebulous way for a long time, how our cultures have intersected in Miami. I came from Cuba on a boat in 1980, around the same time that many Haitians were coming from Haiti 
in boats, but in airplanes as well. And my life has always intersected in one way or another with people from Haiti. But living in Miami, you would have not ever imagine how close their relationship is and has always been historically. We just heard about a Ponte who was inspired to create a revolution in Cuba, was inspired by the revolution in Haiti. So that's just like one tiny, well, maybe not tiny, was very important, but only one of the many, many points of convergence between Haitians and Cubans throughout history from colonial times until today. And so that was one of the things that struck me the most about this project that Carl had been working on was how well, easily, and such an accessible fashion, how well it documented all of the ways in which we are the same, Cubans and Haitians, I mean. Let's talk about how this project was sparked. Carl, it's a 10-year project so far. Yeah, pretty much. It started with the idea that my feet are in two places, my mother being Cuban, my father being Haitian. But when I came to Miami... I went to elementary school at Jesu downtown. It was mostly Cubans, and I was probably one of the few Haitians in that school. I count them, my finger, maybe five. And I befriended a lot of my Cuban schoolmates, and we started talking during recess about you know our lives and and you know they say, "Well, my dad works two jobs, and my mom works this job," and, and I'm like, "Mine's too." And they said, "Where your mom from?" I said, "From Cuba." Well, as soon as I said that, man, it was like. I had a, like, a carte blanche, <laughs> they, you know, really. And it was just a point of entry. And I see this book as a point of entry, not necessarily only for Cuban and Haitians, but for everyone that lives in Miami that has drove through Little Havana or have eaten Little Haiti. It is a portal. And when myself and Lisette got together, it was like a natural fit. It's like my hand was fit in this perfect glove, right? And I said, okay, all right. She was more excited about it than I was because by then it was like maybe 10 years I've been pushing this. I felt like a literary drug dealer. Hey, I got this book. You want some of this book? And I didn't have to do that with her. I didn't. It was like she was an addict at the first breath. And so that's pretty amazing. (laughs) Who is involved besides you two? I mean, there's writers, photographers. Yeah, this is like who's who. I mean, we have Edrich Anticat, of course. We have Anna Menendez. We have Leonard Pitts. We have half the staff of the Miami Herald. <laughs> we have half the staff of the Washington Post and New York Times. You know, I designed this book. Photographers like Carol Guzzi, Patrick Farrell. I mean, I could go on. Um, C.W. Griffin, Jeffrey Salter. These are a group of very, very talented artists who have bared witness to these both island nations and felt that they needed their voice to be added to their creativity. For many years in my professional career, you know, photographers and writers always fought for the beautiful real estate called the spreadsheet, right? And, you know, they say, run the picture small so the get more type, more places for words. And photographers say, well, run the pictures big. You don't need that much words. <laughs> but I felt that these two cultures needed the power of both the, the written narrative and the visual narrative. So both form of expression was given equal weight. So you have a pairing of a picture from Cuba and a picture from Haiti. Then I had the writers write about not just the pairing, but about the theme. Like Carlos Moore wrote about labor. And, you know, it's not just a picture or a book on prose or beautiful images, but it is a, a reference point. And Lisette's been really good in making sure I keep it that way. Well, I think the most important thing for me is to keep everything that I participate in or that I work on as accessible as possible to everyone. I think you mentioned at the very beginning of the show, or somebody was talking about, oh, it was Toni Morrison and, <laughs> and Edwidge about museums or these imposing structures that make people in the community feel like maybe they don't belong there. And I've always, it's an instinct for me to never create anything that keeps anyone out. And what I really love about this book is that the photography will instantly connect with people who are visual, but the writing is not academic in the way that we tend to think of books that are written about these countries or that explore these scenes. We're keeping it to themes or ideas that everyone can connect to. Carl mentioned labor, but there's also love and there's also other parts of the life of the everyday people of our countries. And that is what I connect the most 
to it. You know, this was a project that was supported by the Night Arts Challenge. So it is a Night Arts Challenge winner. We're in the process of raising the matching funds. But when we do print it, it's an exhibit also. So it, it will travel. Um, we have an opening scheduled and for next fall. But when we do print the book, it will be printed in an edition that is really as affordable as we can possibly make it. And we're working with institutions all around the country to make it even more affordable so that anyone can come and learn more about the similarities between the two countries. And more importantly for me is that I want people in Miami where the division has run the deepest. I have a little bit of what might be called survivor's guilt because being Cuban, I just landed here and I was given everything that I needed. And I know that that is not the case for so many people who come from Haiti. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to show Cubans in Miami and, and outside of Miami, but in the diaspora, that A, we shouldn't take this kind of stuff for granted. You know, we were able to leave a country where things were not good and come to a country where things were better and that people from Haiti have not had the same opportunities. That's just one of the reasons why I'm doing this. But in general, I just think showing the world that people in general are just looking for the same things. I mean, again, it's going back to Toni Morrison and the narration for the film that we started talking about. It's like, who gets to decide who's human, who gets to decide who survives or doesn't? And I have to say, um, the Cuban community really accepted me when I was a young, young boy, kind of felt alienated, and they embraced me. And the Haitian community has definitely taken Lisette as a native daughter. And I think Miami needs that type of integrated identity. And I think Little Haiti is a perfect example of how Miami can come together and celebrate each other's identity, but in a collective effort. Excellent. Well, that was a brief introduction to this amazing project of photos and essays titled Havana, Haiti. And I know you'll be watching out for the opportunity to find the exhibition in the fall and watch for the book. I am so honored to have had in the studio today with me Marie Vickles, Carl Just, Thank you. Lisette Mendez, and Edwige Danticat. Thank you for bringing this very important conversation about Haiti and what Haiti inspires in the world and about our own Haitian community, Little Haiti in Miami. I also appreciated the recordings I was able to capture with Edouard Duvacarier and Tasha Grantham and sharing the voice of Nina Angela Mercer. Please tell us how we're doing on Fresh Art International. If you're listening right now, rate and review our radio show and podcast on iTunes or anywhere you go to listen. We bring you conversations about creativity with artists and curators from around the world every Wednesday morning on Jolt Radio. Our program is made with supportive listeners like you. And until March 15th, all donations you make will be doubled by the Knight Foundation because we, too, are a Knight Arts Challenge grantee. So go to freshartinternational.com and click on the support button to find out more and make your contribution. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.